Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, today we're going to uh, keep going through the book of Amos. Amos chapter 7 is where we are, and so I invite you to turn there. And um, if you're a user of the Bible app, feel free to... Um, uh, feel, feel free to open that app and find our live event and track along with the sermon notes and scriptures and other things uh, that are there. Uh, I, I don't know if there is, um, I don't know if there is a worse job in the world potentially than the White House spokesperson. I mean, like every word, syllable, intonation, tone, look, facial expression, um, outfit that you wear, all of it gets parsed. Uh, labeled, interpreted, misinterpreted, and a thousand other things. Yes? And it's, it's critical. It's an important thing. But does anybody want to sign up for that? No. Why? Because, like, the, the person that you're speaking for is the president of the United States, leader of the free world, and, like, what you say on his behalf in this particular case really, really matters. And the churn rate, uh, as of late, has been pretty significant. I mean, they don't stay very long because they're, you know, tired of getting lambasted the whole time. Um, if you speak on behalf of the President of the United States, I mean, that's a fairly important thing. Anybody ever tried to speak on behalf of your spouse? How'd that go? It may have been fine, or it may have been something else. I mean, speaking on behalf of the President of the United States, that's one thing, yes? Speaking on behalf of your spouse... Like, that's a whole nother level. I mean, nuclear launch codes and all that kind of stuff, fine. But on behalf of your spouse, that's a completely different level. Today, we're looking at Amos and how he speaks on behalf of God. The more important the person, the more you want to be clear-headed about what you're saying and how you're saying what you're saying and how you're speaking on their behalf. You go from White House press secretary to your spouse to God. And this is Amos as we walk through this. And so the more important the figure, the more is at stake when you speak. And uh, today we want to walk uh, through this. And I want to give you kind of six things. If you're going to be a person who speaks on behalf of God, uh, what are some things that need to be true about you? Number one is that you actually wrestle with him about what it needs to be said. Verse 1, Amos chapter 7, verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing. So just picture in your mind, uh, the, the hay, if you will, grows up. Uh, they mow that bad boy down, give it to the king so that he can uh, supply the army and this kind of stuff. The, the second wave is starting to grow. And what is coming up along with it? Locusts. Is this good or bad for the hay? Bad. Who does it primarily affect? The king? No, he's already got all the hay. It affects everybody else. So when uh, they'd finished eating the grass of the land, I said, oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, says the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire. And it devoured the great deep. That's the ocean. So like the fire was so significant that even the ocean couldn't put it out. And it was eating up the land. And then I said, oh, Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. And so the Lord relented concerning this also shall not be, 
said the Lord God. Okay, so pause here. Let's just talk about wrestling. If you're going to speak on behalf of God, let's talk about wrestling with him about it first. I'll give you three things to think about. Number one, Amos heard God. We'll talk more about this in just a moment. It's not an opinion. He heard God. And so here's how this works out. He showed me uh, in verse one. He showed me. And then again, in verse four, this is what the Lord God showed me. Okay. So he's hearing from God, but he's being shown something. It's the same for us. You and I, we hear from God when we see something. Where do we see it? Right here in this book. God has spoken to us through his word. And the, the uh, more clearly we hear God's voice, it sounds just like this. He's never going to say something to you. He's never going to uh, uh, tell you to go do something that is contrary to this. And he will, t- he will um, not contradict this in any way. When we hear from God, it's because we see it in his book. Okay, this is what he has left us. Um, excuse me, uh, c- could it be an audible voice? Could it be a vision? All this kind of stuff? Yes, but even then... It will match this. So here's the question. Do you have a rhythm that allows you to do so? Do do you have a rhythm that puts you in front of this book and in prayer such that you hear from God, such that you could say, the Lord showed me? Put a plan in place. If you don't, put a plan in place. If you don't, carve out the time, make it intentional, and then go to work, and then let the Word of God go to work in you. Amos heard God. You're going to speak on his behalf. You've got to hear him first. Otherwise, you're just making it up. Secondly, the word that he heard impacted Amos. So, so listen, I mean, how does he respond? Oh, Lord God, please forgive. Oh, oh, oh Lord God, please cease. It impacted him. So when we pick up the Bible and we read it, Are we going to uh, just read it and go, boy, that was a nice story. Thank you so much. Check. No. No, no. No, we have to let it impact us. So this morning I'm reading, uh, my personal reading, uh, one of the chapters today was Matthew chapter 13. This is how it impacted me. Um, uh, Jesus is telling the parable, maybe you know the parable, about a sower who goes out to sow and he sows a seed and some of it falls on rocky soil, some of it falls on the, on the street and some of it uh, falls in stuff that has uh, thorns and thistles and then some of it falls on good soil. And so I'm kind of thinking through this and walking through this and reading the parable again. I've read it many times before, reading Jesus' interpretation of it later in chapter Matt, uh, Matthew chapter 13 and I'm kind of walking through this and I just think to myself, that is not strategic at all. There's no strategy to that at all. The way Jesus tells the story, the person who sows, it's just kind of like reaching in his bag and throwing it out and throwing it out and throwing it out. Like there's no strategy to that whatsoever. It's like he believed, the sower, that there would be an infinite supply of the seed. It's like there's an infinite supply of seed. You can be fairly indiscriminate with how you share it. Of course, that's exactly right. You know, hey, where, hello, where you been all this time? On and on and on. This is just me. The word impacted Amos. If you're going to speak on his behalf, it needs to impact you as well. This is not a detached knowledge. This is not Amos stepping into another Bible study to take this in. It's not Amos subscribing to another podcast so that he can get some more information. This is not Amos reading, picking up another book and reading or listening to it, depending upon his, how he had it and what his, uh, you know, where his audible credits were at the time. Like This is Amos hearing from God and it impacting his life. Now, I know we've got some tradesmen in here. I just want to know, we talk about a 
apprentices to Jesus uh, a lot. And here, if you are an apprentice electrician, then you step into the world where the master electrician is telling you what to do. Because that master electrician knows better how to do it than you do. Blackwire gets connected to, everybody, black wire. Okay, like you don't want to connect the black to something else. You want to connect the black to the black wire. Because if you connect the black to something else, there will be some sort of situation that you will not like. Hey, don't forget to turn the power off before you do this. Because otherwise that black wire will do some things to you that you will not enjoy. And you learn from this until you can do it on your own. When we have apprenticed ourselves to Jesus. We are learning from a master how to live a life that we could not live on our own. How to do things that we could not do on our own. The word impacted Amos. This is not just intake. This is knowledge now then applied. Attached rather than detached from action. And lastly, he was responsive to it. Again, I just point out uh, in verse 3, excuse me, at the end of verse 2, how can Jacob stand? He's so small, and then the Lord relented. Again, how can Jacob stand in verse 5? How can Jacob stand? He's so small, and then the Lord relented. He was responsive to it. This meant engaging God. This meant stepping in. Go, God, like, you're merciful. Please have mercy. I mean, if if, if what I'm seeing comes true, we're not going to make it. So God, mercy on us. Mercy on these people. Mercy in this situation. Mercy on my family. Mercy on my friends. Whatever it may be. He was responsive to it. He heard from God. And that word impacted him. And then he's like, God, you, 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 you got to do something here. Responsive. Uh, another example of this. We'll just touch on this quickly. But another example of this. We uh, used it as our prayer focus in staffing on, on Tuesday. Psalm 40. Here we go. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is where? Within my heart, right here. So the, the word is not external to us. It's, it's right here. Like God has spoken to us. And then, then what happens? I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. So you're hearing first. It is coming into your life first. You're intaking it first. You're learning it first. It is impacting you first. And then you can speak. Some of us are prone to hot takes. You know what a hot take is? Like you open your mouth before you actually know what you're saying. You fire off a missive on a keyboard. This is not that. I desire to do your will, O God. I am bent toward you. Your law is within my heart. It has impacted me. And now, now I will speak on your behalf. Okay, second thing. There is a confidence in God's word. Verse 7. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall with a plumb line, with a plumb line, built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. Everybody plumb line? Everybody up to speed on this? Got a string, you put a weight at the bottom of it, you hold it up, and it, uh, once it starts swinging, um, it, it goes to a plumb. They call it literally plumb. It, it goes to straight up and down. And so he's standing beside a wall built with the plumb line, and he's holding a plumb line in his hand. What he's saying in that moment, this is a picture, and he'll continue with the picture in just a moment, is that the scripture has what it needs to pass the test. If you built a wall that was like this, this would not pass the test. You would say it is not plumb. A pretty famous tower in Italy, not plumb. You don't want walls like this. It typically doesn't last that long. 
You, you want a wall that's straight up and down. It, in, in this particular case, when he's talking about the scriptures, it has, the Bible has what it needs to pass the test. The big theological phrase for this is called the sufficiency of the scripture. And uh, here, here's what we're talking about. The sufficiency, there, let's try this again. The sufficiency of the scripture sounds like this. In the Bible, God has given us everything that we need in order to know him by faith and to follow him in obedience. That's the sufficiency of the scripture. In the Bible, we have everything that we need to know God by faith and to follow him in obedience. Now, um, I, I, I get this question sometimes. Does that mean that we can't learn from other sources? What's the answer to that? Of course not. Of course you can. Yes, you can absolutely learn from other sources. Um, I mean, this doesn't speak to everything that's in the universe. This will not teach you how to do math. Calculus, right here. You, you ain't getting it from here. But it does give you everything that you need to know God by faith and to follow him in obedience. So, so um, the, the other sources, there's two things I just want to highlight here. The other sources that may give us input or insight do not rise to the level of authority of the scriptures. They are not sufficient like the Bible is sufficient. But that also means that we don't have, we as the people of God don't have to be fearful of engaging these other sources. Why? Because we know there's no such thing as the boogeyman. I mean, we really know that God has spoken in his word and it is a plumb line. What it, what it needs to pass the test is included with it. We don't have to be fearful of engaging other source, uh, in other um, situations or other spheres um, because we know we know that the Bible is sufficient. And honestly, um, I, I think what's true, at least in my own life, maybe in yours, certainly in some that I talk to, the fear of engaging is actually more about my embarrassment than it is about my confidence in the Word of God. Well, what if they ask a question that I can't answer? It's, it, that's mostly about me. That's not about that. Confidence in God's Word. Thirdly, if you're going to speak on behalf of God, this needs to be true about you, that you need to be willing to say what you see. Verse 8, And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I see a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. Is that good news or bad news? That's bad news. Because their walls are t tilted. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will get, rise against the house of Jeroboam, uh, who was the king at the time. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Willingness to say what is seen. What do you see? I see a plumb line. That's right. I'm passing a plumb line through the camp. It's not going to go well for them. And Amos repeats what he has heard. So two things. Number one, it's not always popular. When you speak on God's behalf, and you say what needs to be seen. It's not always popular. It's not always easy to say. And it's not always easy to hear. There are stances. There are issues in which the people of God stand opposite the culture. Did you know this? I'm just making sure it's on. Okay. There are stances. There are issues. There are things that we encounter in the world, in your work, my work, um, uh, in your neighborhood, on the ball field, wherever. There are places where the culture and the church, the people of God, do not agree about how we should do life. Does anybody know this? Okay. At least there was a murmur. It's not always popular. 
It's not always easy to say, and it's not always easy to hear. Everybody would love it if it was all John 3.16 all the time, but it's not. Secondly, um, this is not the opinion. It is not the opinion of Amos. It's not the opinion of the speaker. So what is he saying here? I am willing to say what is seen, okay? I'm willing to say the things that God has shown me here. It's not my opinion. It's what God has said. And I'll give you three things just to uh, maybe give some kind of guardrails to that. Number one, you ought to be able to point to it in the text. Like if you can't say, if you say, thus saith the Lord, and they're like, where does he say that? They're like, "Uh, well, I'm not sure. That may be your opinion. That may be your opinion. What you ought to be able to do is take your finger and go right here. This is where God says that. Be able to point to it in the text. But it's not enough to just be able to point to it in the text because on occasion I read things and I would like to jerk them out of the text and then apply them to my life in a way that they are not meant to apply. Anybody? Yeah, sinners, just like me. So we also, that's kind of guardrail number one. Guardrail number two, it has to fit into the larger story of the scripture. So, so don't just jerk it out um, and, and pretend it's a part of a different story. Um, point to it in the text, but then know where it fits in uh, into the broader story of Scripture. And then the third thing I would say under this, uh, point to it in the text, uh, know where it fits in in the broader story of Scripture, and then rightly place yourself in the story. And let me just give you an example of that. When I grew up, uh, the story of David and Goliath was the story, the way that the story was told, the way the story was taught, uh, the way that I personally engaged the story was, I want to be, everybody wants to be David, right? You got a giant out there, let's pick up some stones, and then cut his head off. Awesome. I want to be David. The problem is, the longer I live, the more I realize I'm the guy hiding over there behind the rock saying, please, Goliath, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. Anybody? The point of the story is not go be David. The point of the story is we need a David. The point of the story is not, hey, pick up your stones and slay the giant. The point of the story is, oh, God, please send somebody to do this on my behalf. We need a savior who is going to be a king. Does that sound familiar to anybody? This is placing me in the story, not as the hero, but as the guy hiding, and I need a hero. I'll give you another one. It's July 4th weekend, yeah? Red, white, and blue, red, white, and blue, all over the place. I love our country. I've, I've got, I got a text yesterday. Hey, how many patriotic songs are we singing tomorrow? Zero. Not because I don't love our country, but because in order for our country to be the country that God wants it to be, you know what needs to happen? The church needs to be the church that God wants us to be. So we're going to get in here and do church things. That's what we do. We're going to sing about Jesus and we're going to uh, um, ally ourselves, like put our allegiance into his kingdom. And we're going to do, and we're going to hear the word of God and we're going to remind ourselves of the story of what he has done. Why? Because that will be, that will promote the kind of righteousness in us that ultimately works itself out to exalt a nation. Like the USA is not Old Testament Israel, folks. You can't just pick a verse out of Deuteronomy and claim that God would do it. I love our country. I love it so much that we need to be the church so it'll be the best thing that it could be. Rightly place yourself in the story. Okay. Willingness to say what is seen. Verse 10. 
This is number four. Be ready for blowback. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his word. For thus Amos said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Israel must go into exile away from his land. So here's three ways that that, gets, that blowback happens. If you're going to speak on behalf of God, you've got to be ready for the blowback. Um, what would that look like? Number one, a misrepresentation. Look, look at what he said. Amos has conspired against you. Where? Where was the conspiracy? There wasn't one. They just made it up. Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Is that what he said? No. Look back uh, in, in verse, um, excuse me, in verse 9, at the very last phrase. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. That's so... Somebody took his words and twisted them to create a new narrative, a new story. Taking sound bites and making a different story out of those sound bites. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Have we seen any of this happen anywhere? Misrepresentation. Secondly, temptation, verse 12. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, uh, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. Why would he want them to go away to the, hey, listen, Amos, people want to hear you over there. You should probably go talk to them. Um, hey, hey, Amos, there's food and good stuff for you over there. Why don't you go over there? There's safety and security and your job's not going to be affected if you go over there. So why don't you go over there? The temptation to come along and to step away from the place and the moment that God has given you in the name of safety, security, um, in the name of even success. And then verse 13, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it's a temple of the kingdom. That's threat. Amaziah looks at him and goes, don't ever prophesy here again. Don't do it. You hear the tone in that. There's a change from, hey, man, you should probably go elsewhere to don't come here. It's, it's threat. A readiness to face blowback. What, what did Amos do in light of that? Look at verse 14. He rested in the authority of God. So Amos answered, said to Amaziah, hey, listen, I was no prophet. I wasn't a prophet's son. I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. Uh, hey, look, man, I ain't a pro. That's what he says. You think I'm doing this for a living? No, I was a shepherd. I used to take care of trees and sheep. Verse uh, 15 here, this is where his authority lies. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go. So let's just start there. To rest in the authority of God for Amos means this. God took me and said, go. Hey, you, sycamore tree guy, it's time. Step out. Go. And what did he say? God took me and said, prophesy. So I'm going to give you something to say, and I want you to say it. This won't be your own authority. I mean, you're just a shepherd. You came from this little backwoods town called Tekoa. No big deal for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the last thing he says in verse 15, uh, and he said, prophesy to my people, Israel. God said, go to Israel. So you want me to go back home, but the truth is I'm sent here. So I'm resting in God's authority here. Not, not back there, here. God said to go to Israel. 
part of that applies, maybe, that, you know, if, if you're not in sin, you may, very well be, you may very well be where you need to be today. Um, let me just bring this down to a little bit of biography. Um, I, I, I've talked about this some, and maybe I haven't woven all this together all at once, but um, I, I grew up in a church, a very traditional First Baptist downtown county seat, red shag carpet, had, you know, 25 years of dust and mites and all that kind of stuff in it, pews, the whole thing, right? Um, anyway, so this is the church that I grew up in. The pastor that I grew up with, uh, I'm sure his sermons were great, but they were just far, far, far up here, like way above me. You don't have that problem, I understand, but like they, they were, he was smart and like he did this up here. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't understand any of the sermons like that I had grown up. And uh, when I was in eighth grade, uh, who who just who's in here just finished eighth grade? Anybody? A couple of you? You, you can a couple of them back. Eh, eh, don't call on me. Um, when I was your age, um, uh, I went to camp. It's one of the reasons I'm a fan of camp. Uh, and a guy named Steve, he just retired from being a pastor a couple of years ago in the Dallas area. A guy named Steve preached on Philippians 4:13, and I remember I can take you almost to the spot where I was sitting. Uh, and I remember thinking, "Holy smokes!" That dude helped me understand the Bible in a way that it's really helpful to me. It's the first sermon that I remember understanding. And I remember responding, God, if, if ever I can help somebody understand the Bible the way that that guy just helped me understand the Bible, count me in for that. That was the first step in many steps to get me here. I, I stuttered when I was a kid. I had speech therapy. I know we got some speech people in here. I stuttered, and yet here I am. Um, when, uh, I mean, there's, there's stuff that, you know, me personally, I had to overcome. Uh, none of which, uh, so went to Baylor, um, started out as a computer science major. Anybody computer science majors when you got through a couple in the earlier service where I'm not making fun of you, but I am saying I couldn't do it, yo, I couldn't. Uh, anybody for you computer science people remember Pascal? I was pretty good at Pascal. And then we got to database stuff, semester three, I was out I, in more ways than one. I'm like, not only in over my head, but like, I don't want to do this. I just don't. So I, I um, Labor Day weekend with uh, the first, uh, third semester of my sophomore, um, first semester of my sophomore year, third semester at Baylor, um, I beat my dad in ping pong, absolutely destroyed him. And then I said, and by the way, I'm changing my major. <laughs> it's a good way to, you know, intro that. Anyway, made it through Baylor, um, went to seminary. My seminary for me wasn't uniquely a great experience, but uh, the seminary that I went to is a very, very different place now. Praise God. Um, but in March of my first year, 1997, March of my first year, um, these little kneeling benches, there was some at this prayer room in the back. I mean, in a corner, like behind a door, big stained glass, and I'm kneeling before God saying, God, just in light of all the things that are going on in my personal life, in light of all the things that are going on in my academic life, I will go anywhere except back to class. Please send me anywhere but upstairs. Eastern Africa, count me in. China, I'm all about it. Let's do it. Just don't send me upstairs, please. And the Holy Spirit kind of prompted me, said, I want you to go read Psalm 45. So I start reading. It's a little confusing at the front end. Um, 
And I'm like, Lord, did you say 145 or 45? 45. So I read. In the Bible that I had at the time, there's 17 verses in Psalm, in Psalm 45. Uh, it had 16 on one side, and then you turn the page, and this was, this was my moment. Because I'm like, God, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And I turned the page from Psalm 45, 16 to Psalm 45, 17, and it was a page-turning moment for me. This is what it said. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the way I learned it, the peoples, this one, the nations, will give you praise forever and ever. And it cut me. I was bleeding right there. Because I knew that that was the thing that I should commit my life to. That was the authority on which I would rest. Even amidst all the craziness that was the classroom, even in the midst of all the stuff, my parents had just divorced, all the chaos that they had created in my own personal life, like all of that kind of stuff. God, I want to live and I want to minister in such a way that I will herald you and your kingdom such that people are transformed and become worshipers of God. That's what led me here. That's what steered me through the rest of my seminary career. That's what led me to the things that um, I got to do after that and in college ministry and some ups and downs and some uh, successes and some failures, working on his church staff and ultimately pastoring here, causing God's name to be remembered among you, us collectively, heralding God and his kingdom in such a way that you are transformed by the power of the gospel and become worshipers. That's the place where I stand. You will have your own story, but that's mine. But you need a place to stand. Lastly, um, why do you need a place to stand? Because you will have to faithfully speak God's word. Just real quickly, verse 16 and 17. Now, Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, don't prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore... Thus says the Lord. So just pause there for a second. Amaziah, you're saying, don't preach. I can't help but preach. Like, God has given me this word, and I can't help but say the things that I know that I need to say. You will have to speak God's word faithfully, and people will say, don't preach, and I'm going to have to preach. How? By standing in the place that you know that you can stand. And then secondly... Look at the message. Uh, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall, fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. I must preach even if you say I cannot. And listen, this is not pleasant for any of us. I mean, the particular message here is pretty brutal. But it was hard to deliver as well. So I must preach, even if you say I can't. And this is not pleasant for me either. Again, give me John 3.16 instead. I just have to say what I know God's word to say. And church family, there are going to be moments when you will have to say the things that you know God's word says. Even though your coworkers oppose it, your parents oppose it, your friends, your neighbors, your um the people in your circle, the people that you wish you were more connected to, even though they oppose it. You'll have to speak God's word faithfully. So here's the question. Why does, why does this apply to you? I mean, you're no preacher. You're not, you're not a preacher. 
But you are a representative of God. And there will be moments even this week where you will have to open your mouth and speak on God's behalf. There will be moments this week that a door will open for you and you will have an opportunity to say something. What will you do in that moment? Shrink back or speak God's word faithfully? The reason this applies to every single person in here is because we will all have opportunities at the baseball field, at the gym, at your office, um, standing outside in the front yard talking to your neighbor, sitting over lunch with somebody. We will all have opportunities to speak on God's behalf. The question is not whether you will have the opportunities. The question is whether or not you will speak the word faithfully in that moment. And that's where the challenge lies for you and for me. It all begins with a relationship with Jesus, like the one who has spoken to us, the one who has revealed himself to us. That's the one that we speak on behalf of. We're not just making this up. We speak on his behalf. I'd like to take just a moment and pray. Give us a second to just, there's a couple of questions that may pop up here. Thank you. So uh, a couple of questions that may pop up on the screen. If you want to just snap a picture and think about these later, talk about them over lunch, whatever you want to do, that's great. But I want to give us a moment to pray and just let some of this soak down in, okay? We've sown the seed. What kind of soil is it going to find? We'll give ourselves a moment to process this and just rest in it. And then I'll lead us in a prayer, make a couple of announcements. We'll get out of here. Yes? Okay, all right. Let's pray. I'm going to be quiet for a moment. This may be the only silence you have this week. So I'll give you a second. Father, in the places um, where we need this seed, this word, to fall down into us, into some crevice, into some place. I pray, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would put it in that exact place. And for the opportunities that are out there for us in this coming week, I pray that we would open our mouths and speak on your behalf. The world doesn't need less witness from us, the church. It doesn't need uh, us repeating talking points from some newsletter. It needs people who are saturated with the scripture. And it just, we bleed it when it comes out of us. God, that's what the world needs. And so, for all of us gathered here, may your words speak to us now in the ways that we need to hear it. For some, we know exactly what it means. For some, it may not be till Thursday that we figure it out. But God, would you speak to all of us here? And do the work that is required in order to make us the people that you want us to be. This is what we ask now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen and amen.